Hey friends, it's Melvin. Thanks for tuning into this episode. Here's just a few quick things I wanted to notify you guys about before we get started. First up, very soon, new episodes will be releasing Wednesday mornings rather than Tuesday. So don't panic if you don't see a new episode on Tuesday. Just wait a little longer and you'll see it in your feed. Second, we've introduced a mailbag. Check those show notes and toward the bottom you'll see a mailbag link. You'll then be able to text us any questions you might have about movies, the movie industry, or any movie-slash-Christian-related questions you might have. Then we'll respond in a future episode, so send us your questions now. Up next, Patreon polls, which are available to Patreon supporters at the $3 tier or higher, have been updated. Supporters can now suggest films or shows to be reviewed at the end of each month. The two most liked submissions will become the options for the Patreon poll, so if you want to hear us talk about your favorite movie or show, join our Patreon and start campaigning. And lastly, whether you're a new or long-time listener, please consider writing a review or rating the Cinematic Doctrine podcast on iTunes and Spotify. Apart from financially supporting on Patreon, these are the two most helpful ways to support the show. And that's it. Enjoy the episode. You're listening to Cinematic Doctrine. Hey, if listener uh, who just pressed play on your episode of Cinematic Doctrine, welcome, friend. Uh, we just talked about Netflix and streaming, uh, the fall of Netflix, per- reasons why, competition, Disney potentially buying them up. That's just us talking, not not an actual thing. Um, for 33 minutes, that is 33 minutes of really interesting, timely, but also just just fascinating industry discussion content that you are missing out because you do not support us on Patreon. Um, if you go swing over to patreon.com slash cinematic doctrine and support for as little as $3 a month, you get access to uncut content of each episode. So that's going to include this episode of moon Knight, which will be however long we discuss plus the 30 minutes in the beginning where we talk about this Netflix streaming uh, industry stuff that's been going on. Uh, this is uh, the second time we've done this, and we really like this idea. We think it's not only easy and more f- interesting for Patreon supporters to just press play, and the first thing you get is some new content, um, but also for us, it's easy to work with behind the scenes because all I got to do is chop that thing right off, and then bam, you guys get the content right away, and then the Patreon supporters get the extra content. So swing on over there, $3 a month. You also get to choose new episode. You get to choose between two uh, properties what we are going to review at the end of the month. We typically try to pick things that are relevant to stuff that's going on, um, relevant to like kind of the cultural stuff that's kind of in the air, um, not necessarily political stuff, although sometimes I do that. Um, but yeah, you can swing on over there and vote on a movie for this month as well. But otherwise, um, let's get into the episode. Moon Knight, Dan, what would you think of Moon Knight? Or do you want to do you want to talk about the various uh, faces of Moon Knight? I don't know. I was trying to think of a multiple personality pun to make. But Are you trying to ask me to introduce the show? Would you like to introduce the show? I introduced the ad. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, sure. So Moon Knight is the got sixth, seventh, I don't even know. It's it's another one of these Disney Plus Marvel shows. Uh it's created for television by Jeremy Slater, who created helped he created the Exorcist TV show, which is pe- well liked by people. He also co created the Umbrella Academy show for Netflix, which I really enjoy. Uh, most episodes are directed by let me just, I just want to make sure I pronounce his name correctly. Uh, Mohamed Diab with a few episodes that are directed by Moorhead Benson, who did The Endless and produced She Dies Tomorrow, which you can check out our episode on that. Moon Knight tells a story of 
a few people, all played by Oscar Isaac. Uh, we were first introduced to Stephen Grant, who works at a museum. He's a very mild-mannered man with a kind of silly British accent. However, he suffers from dissociative identity disorder, the controversial and sometimes not well-understood disorder, which causes people to have sort of distinct what are called alters. Uh, one of these is Mark Spector, who is the titular Moon Knight, who has powers granted to him by Khonshu, where he's been tasked with protecting the Travelers of the Night. This whole situation runs him afoul of Ethan Hawke's Arthur Harrow, who is kind of a pastiche of all kinds of people. Uh, his performance is heavily based on David Koresh, Jimmy Swaggart, and Carl Jung, among a few others, who is looking to resurrect an old Egyptian deity who is going to basically destroy all people who will be evildoers. Think Project Insight, but a little more uh, all-encompassing. Over the six episodes, we get to meet the various personalities of Moon Knight, he runs afoul of a few interesting Egyptian characters. And the whole thing is kind of held together by a wonderful central performance from Oscar Isaac and the sort of gentle, uh, soft-spoken villain played by Ethan Hawke. Uh, whatever you think of the show itself, I think I think we can all agree upon is that the performances across the board are quite good. And the kind of weird things that happen in the show near the end kind of elevate it beyond that of most other Marvel MCU television shows. It does kind of have that same problem a lot of shows have where they just can't seem to quite stick the landing for whatever reason. However, I find the Moon Knight character at the core to be quite interesting. And I think the, what do you call it? The mythos around the character is wonderful. One thing I one thing I do enjoy about the MCU is that it, it exists in a reality where every religion is kind of correct. And so all of this Egyptian mythology is real alongside the mythology of Black Panther, alongside the mythologies we see in all the space shows, so and so Eternals. forth. Yeah, I I uh overall Moon Knight is one of the better Disney Plus shows in my opinion. It's not a complete home run, but I enjoyed it for what it is. And we'll kind of get into not just this, but the mcu as a whole probably as most of these discussions go um but yeah overall i think it's worth watching it wasn't my favorite thing in the world though i do like a lot of things in it which is kind of becoming my baseline for a lot of marvel stuff lately where even if the whole thing isn't great there's always things about it i like hey there it's your friendly neighborhood call to action just checking in on you hope you're doing all right I'm just stopping by to say, you know, if you enjoy the show, you can always subscribe and write a review for Cinematic Doctrine. There's iTunes, Podchaser, basically anywhere you listen. You can give us a shout out with a thumbs up, five stars, gripping positivity. Or if you hate the show, you can say that too. Wait, what? What are you saying? Why are you saying that? Well, I'm not going to tell them what to do, Ted. They're free to do what they want. Our analytics say we got a lot of listeners in the U.S. and you know they love their freedoms. And you're also free to check out our Twitter. Very active there. We host polls, memes. There's also the Cinematic Doctrine Facebook group called Cinematic Doctrine Facebook group. If you want to join, just answer the questions, read the rules, and tell them the podcast sent you. Also, you should check out our website. Some really cool stuff there. Editorials, written reviews for movies we haven't had time to cover. Always check out cinematicdoctrine.com when you get the chance. Oh, uh, Ted also told me I shouldn't forget to mention the Patreon. Something about you can support us or something? Wait, Ted, I thought this was like a hobby thing. You it's want to me to- expand cinematic doctrine, you know right, this already. Right, 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 yeah, I, <laughs> I forgot, I'm the one who put all this together. Yeah, cinematic doctrine has a Patreon. For as little as $3 a month, you can gain access to early uncut episodes of the podcast. Oh, and did I mention, you get to tell us what to do. 
That's right. Each month you get to vote on a movie we discuss on the show. Anyways, I gotta run. So, I'll see you guys later. Uh, Melvin, what did you think of Moon Knight? Uh, I thought it was pretty good. I don't know if I put it as high as Loki and WandaVision, but it's definitely right up there as like being really close, like <laughs> really, really quite close. It's definitely better than Falcon. It's definitely better than Hawkeye. Uh, although I did like Hawkeye too. Falcon is just the least, the least interesting one, mostly because you're talking about something not sticking the landing. That one <laughs> man, was like oh, an episode of Final Dan- Destination. It was crazy. But um uh, which reminds me, we have not seen Julia Louise Dreyfus for a while in the MCU at this point, which is interesting because um, she doesn't pop into Hawkeye, does she? We didn't talk about Hawkeye no, she, um, on the podcast, but she's um, corralling the evil versions of heroes, which I guess haven't popped up in a bit. So I, I think she'll be a factor in some stuff going up, like Secret Wars, whenever they finally get that project up and running. Mm-hmm. But, um, but yeah, I enjoyed Moon Knight. I I kind of, how did I watch it? I watched it like I watched three or four episodes at once and then gave it like two weeks. And then I watched the final two because I think there's six, right? Yes. Um, yeah. yeah. I, uh, so I sort of semi binged it, semi did not binge it. And I think um, from discussions I've had with people, it sounds like my engagement of it was a lot easier than others who just did week to week, perhaps because it sort of is, it's a chaotic narrative. It jumps all over the place, uh, which functions well for the Stephen Grant uh, Mark Spector character. I think that's fine. It kind of is in theme. You could also consider that just a handicap <laughs> for for messy editing. But as a as someone who has seen, I think two Benson and Moorhead projects before, which they only directed two episodes here, but I think they wrote. A f- I think they wrote the show. I did. I didn't get, check to confirm, but they participated in uh, writing it in some they're capacity. They're not credited in episodes, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if they had some hand in the creative process. They, but. they are. I've literally described them as kind of like Neil Breen, where they just throw everything. They do kitchen sink movies, and but but they they're all ideas that are interesting, like Neil Breen, uh, <sighs> but they don't necessarily all come together. Uh, which actually you could say is unlike Neil Breen because they all come together in Neil Breen movies. Uh, and so, cause I've seen the endless and yeah, that has a lot of ideas thrown in and some really cool scenes, but the whole of the, of the film doesn't quite work while also working just enough. It's that, it's that kind of indie movie. And synchronic also had a similar problem where it's got all these really interesting, cool ideas, but it doesn't really stick the landing super well either. But, it's interesting enough that you still think about it, that you like their their take on science fiction is very um, sincere and fascinating. They're creative. So uh, you can't help but like <laughs> what they're doing. I have not checked out their other movies. I know Spring is a really big one for them. Uh, I haven't seen that, but I know that they all kind of have a similar vein. And they're also all kind of in the same universe, which is interesting. Synchronic has probably the least connection to Endless that I know of, but Endless has characters from one of their other movies um, just in it. And the the movie itself is just in that movie, but I'm sure Moon Knight <laughs> isn't connected. But yeah, they, they are chaotic. And Moon Knight also at times can be a bit chaotic, both in editing and in the narrative itself. It has a lot of really, really cool ideas. They don't all pay off super strongly but for me i think i probably enjoyed the show a little bit more than you did based on just how you described being like okay with it 
Um, I'm not sure what it is though, that like I particularly liked about the show in terms of the story itself, but it really is the characters, two of which are just Oscar Isaac acting (laughs) Um, very well, by the way, like it's very clear that they're different people, uh, which makes it very fun. It's probably that that really keeps the person engaged in watching the show, which is great. I would much rather people be engaged by a performance than engaged by an IP. And uh, in this, you get both because also Moon Knight I've wanted to get into for a long time since being in some comic book groups online. Uh, They would always talk about Moon Knight being particularly cool. I don't know if he has the same uh, benefit as Spider-Man and Batman, where he also has great villains. Uh, Maybe you can attest to that. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. Okay. The the appeal of Moon Knight has always been his internal journey and how different writers interpret that. Like, for example, like in a previous episode, I recommended Jeff Lemire's run on the character. But some people don't like the direction he took the character in. And some people speak highly of uh, Max Bemis's run, who, for those who don't know, Max Bemis is a writer um, who's, sorry, lead singer for the band Say Anything. And he actually also writes comics. And so yes, he, Catherine was talking about how he worked on that. Yeah. yeah and I, some, some people like his. I, pre, I also mentioned how I don't like Brian Michael Bendis's run on the character, you know. Um, but yeah, that's kind of the the appeal is usually the character itself which i think is also going to affect people's enjoyment because the depictions of like his depiction of specifically mr knight is very different from the comics where he's kind of in this he's kind of like a goofy silly guy who doesn't really know how to fight and then as the show goes on he learns how to do that very different from the comics is mr knight more his suit makes him look like he'd be more james bondy yeah yeah more and um and even the promo art of mr knight um (laughs) <laughs> where he's fixing his glove on the Disney Plus makes him seem like at, at first because it's gonna be super cool. And, yeah, when I know. since I knew nothing about it, I just knew he had DID. Uh, I was like, oh, maybe one of the villains will be his personality, which we can talk about later. Um, but which is uh, also very different from the comics. Um, but I but. had suspected that Mister Knight was like the villain version of him and stuff like that. But no, it's just goofy version of him, <laughs> which I'm fine with. I have no it works background for it, and it no works problem. in the show and. It's clever. Like, uh, you want to go into spoilers now? I don't think so. Not yet. But um, part of what makes the show, I think, effective is how it's how the show's framed and how it starts. The fact that even the first episode is Stephen Grant, and then he's just warping to new locations. It's great. The first episode is incredible. It it's is, really good. It is one of the best pilots I've seen in a while. I keep thinking about it. I'm like, this is a great show um it's a really really good episode um and the second episode is also quite good i i don't know if i have a least favorite there's definitely like i don't know i guess like if i rewatch it i'd probably like the show a lot more um because it doesn't have netflix syndrome it doesn't stick around too long um wandavision and and falcon have started to probably have that problem which is why now every show that they've done has only been like six episodes seven episodes at most um but moon knight comes across at a really healthy pace and uh, has some has some really good moments. It also I like that it. Um, we talked about this, I guess, a couple months ago because the Marvel Netflix shows were coming off of Netflix and going to Disney, and Moon Knight was being partially produced or, or partially created by Morehead and Benson, who have done. Um, I don't even know if their movies are rated R, but more adult uh, movies of like more creativity, both in a intellectual sense, but also in violence and stuff. And horror, essentially, they're horror sci-fi um, movies. And so I remember texting you going, hey, they're getting the Marvel Netflix shows. 
and that's coinciding with Moon Knight. Are they talking about Moon Knight being more adult or more? I don't know. I I don't know what other word to use than adult. I was going to say transgressive, but it's not, <laughs> it's not really it's transgressive. Not. It's it's described as darker, quote unquote. Some yeah. of their shows, which I mean, I think that's part of. I think it's part of where some of my frustrations of the show come in, where I was, I like the show. I don't want to make it sound like a don't, but I think right. everyone's like, it's going to be so weird and dark and it's not even, it wasn't it, re- particularly dark. It does. It's not dark. It's not even that weird. Like it's more like Indiana Jones with some zombies in it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't know. Like I, I was expecting something closer to like Legion. I don't know if you've ever watched that. No, I haven't. Which has similar like themes and some similar like even like locations and stuff. But what they do with that is so different. It's from the guy who also did the um, Fargo TV show, which is tremendous. Um, he did a ver- he did a comic book show called Legion, which is based on the guy who is Professor X's son, and it stars Dan Stevens as like a guy who's like kind of crazy because he's the son of Professor X, whose mind powers in his son manifest in a very bizarre and weird way. It's great. And I don't know, like, I think I was just expecting something because it's like, it's like this scale, right? For there's this asterisk where for a MCU thing, it's pretty dark for an MCU thing. It's pretty weird. And I think, I don't know. I just feel like it's getting to a place where being in the MCU is no, it's, there's potential where it can make things more fun and more interesting. Like I've talked about this before where the, but fun... we tried that in Dr. Strange and people yeah. did not have fun. Yeah. It's just, it's, I, I it's going to make me upset. I, I had a lot of fun. I, I did, thought like, it was great, <laughs> but a lot of film Twitter people enjoyed the, sh- enjoyed the movie, but, but like you look at something like, okay, like cloak and dagger or a lot of the Marvel Netflix shows, even where the fact they take place in the MCU occasionally works to enhance and give context to the stories, right? Where, you have an episode where Jessica Jones dealing a prejudice prejudice against super people superpowers, and the context for that is she's working and living in a New York that's been destroyed by the events of the Avengers movie. Right, that gives context, and then this is expanded upon Agents of Shield where they talk about Inhumans and prejudice against the humans or people treat them like people who people treat mutants in the X Men movies and stuff. Where that okay, that enhances it, but we're getting to a place now where like the MCU almost feels like it's kind of holding back what these shows could be where WandaVision is great. And I think that's so far my favorite of all these shows because it really utilizes everything on the table to do something kind of weird and interesting versus this, where it's just like the whole time I was wondering if this wasn't in the MCU, like would they be allowed to be more violent? Would they be allowed to be weirder and more experimental? Cause there is some like the sequences in the last two episodes, there's some really fun stuff in there where they're exploring the nature of like, what even these things like what even life and death look like in the context of a universe where the egyptian deities are both real and the rules that they apply also take place so i guess when i I, you know like that stuff's fun to me but like yeah if this wasn't in the mcu would they be able to do more and that's kind of where how i feel about like i feel the same way about like hawkeye in a way where like you can look at the difference between the daredevil show which had much less oversight from Disney versus some of the same characters and stuff show up in Hawkeye. Right. Right. And just, you can feel the difference of 100%. And that's kind of where, I, and that's not fair to the show. Like, right. Like I'm judging Moon Knight by all these metrics that I think it's totally fair. What are you talking about? <laughs> Who told well, you it's not fair? <laughs> well, like it's one of those things where it's like the show on its own, like, and they did, they made some decisions there. They cut, they cut cameos from characters from Eternals and they cut some references to Thor 4 out of the show because it just felt like it didn't belong, which 
credit to everyone involved who made that decision. But there's already people online complaining like, well, there was a running fan theory where some people wondered if Moon Knight took place in like an alternate universe or something because nobody was talking about like Thanos or the snap or anything. It's just like that's crazy. Like, what's wrong with you people? But that's how some people now. Do we, um, do Daniel? Them. Do you regularly bring up nine eleven or January sixth in conversation? Yeah, I just all the time. I was like, man, not as bad as nine eleven though, right? <laughs> you know, like that's just our talk. We're <laughs> yeah, even, yeah, yeah. Like, go back and watch television shows from the fifties. They're not constantly talking about like World War Two, right? You know, <laughs> like you know, go watch Leave It to Beaver and the Andy Griffith Show. Like people are constantly talking about. World War II or the Korean War or like this also takes place like in another country in several other countries it's not a US staged narrative so yes. there's a whole other cultural response to certain tragedies and stuff yeah like that's so silly is that what people want they is that just what they want like the people who don't think there were enough cameos in Doctor Strange or they didn't go to enough alternate universes or whatever is like is that what you want movies to be like you just want it to be a clip show where they just visit just go watch ready player sh- one and shake <laughs> <laughs> yeah just just watch this and just just like you know or space jam 2 you know <laughs> if that's what you want if you want rick and morty to show up for 30 seconds that's what you want out of a thing you know I don't I don't know. Like Moon Knight is perfectly fine. I yeah, I, I like the character. And I, I like the character, I like the drama. It didn't I, I I'm a big advocate for crying when watching stuff. It didn't get me that to do that, but it did there are parts that I thought were effectively emotional. Surprisingly. Surprisingly so. Which yeah. are really great. I, I'm very glad for that. And I also think in terms of the character, not just the performances, but character themselves, the character of Stephen Grant and uh, Mark Spector is very good. It's a very good, strong, um, complicated character, even based on reveals later on that become more, um, just just emphasize how much stronger the character is in terms of, um, he definitely has, of course, because he's got superhero powers, movie mental illness, but it's a <laughs> a very effective, it's, it's the kind of movie mental illness you want where it's everything but heightened. And so this is, yeah, heightened, I, and that's, that's good. That's what I want. It's a visual medium too. So do that. It's drama. Do that. It's totally, totally okay it, for that. Yeah. It's definitely heightened, but DID is controversial. When I worked, when I worked in this field, uh, many of my coworkers didn't think it was real. They just were, they flat out said either it's misdiagnosed something else, or the patient is basically faking it. Is kind of how they how they put it, what, or like other things that they have caused it to act in a way that can be seen as this way. That sort of thing. But conversely, I've met people that DID is the only thing that it could be. Like you know, um, so. It it is a controversial thing, and I'm kind of glad there wasn't a lot of discourse around this. Where most people that was a fear. You even sent me a tweet that was just like, "Boy, sure can't wait till Disney starts a discussion about mental illness because of Moon Knight." <laughs> and it's just like, "No, please don't no, do that." Yeah, don't I think do that. I think it's because it's so clearly a fictionalized version of the disorder that it didn't cause that, which I'm happy for. It, well, it's fictionalized, it, but also relatable in the sense that, like, uh, how does how does this mental illness trigger well trauma, yeah, and then it's respectful right and so it handles it well enough while also having fun with it because i always i always get a little frustrated when people get mad about like depictions of controversial stuff in movies because what am i supposed to do like complicating incidents are exactly that like they're supposed to be 
relatively controversial with solutions at the end. And so you have to play along with stuff. Yes, there's better depictions of things than other adaptions, but we should be free to be able to decide that externally, not be prevented from someone just doing it. Um, that's why Dear Evan Hansen is so fascinating is because we can all <laughs> point and laugh and effectively say that's a bad version of it and then point somewhere else and go, that's a good version. Well, of yeah, it. well, because I also say like we're not exactly we're not exactly lacking in depictions of anxiety and depression in media uh, as far as as far as things. Right. Go. This is just this is just the first time where now it's being marketed as mental illness instead of before where it was just like taxi driver guy drives taxi getting mad (laughs) and it's like we could if that released now could you imagine the campaign for being a mental illness film and also please put us in the oscars it'd just be the worst that's what happened to joker Um, that's joker (laughs) i was just gonna say i just described joker oh man which if i bet if i bet if tom phillips did not push that as being a mental health illness depiction that film would have been responded to a lot better but um let, let movies just these directors need to let movies speak for themselves <laughs> yeah it's annoying that people are like i make a movie also let me tell you why i made this movie like give it a couple of years wait until you see you've earned it well you're you're also poisoning the well uh, as far as like my interpretation of the film right like yes you're already affecting my experience watching it by telling me what i'm supposed to be looking for and feeling it's more and- interesting if you say this is why i put it in there but i want and this is why i created this world but not to say i did it for this reason that eliminates the fun of it like the part of what makes film and and artistic depictions interesting is the yeah there's artist intent but also the the community response to something that's been created Um, i mean at some point you haven't made it anymore because it's been something you made in the past and now we're in the present so it's just not yours anymore but what's it called it's there's a movie that i'm looking I want to watch because I was reading about it. It's what's it called? Everyone's going to uh, the World's Fair or something like that. But it's like it's like a pseudo found footage horror film um, that's getting really great reviews from like film festivals and stuff. And it came out later that or that the person who made the film is trans, and the movie's supposed to kind of mirror the trans experience. But a lot of people didn't pick up on that at all. And I stuff like that I enjoy because it's more like. There is an, an interpretation and there is a level of artist intent, but it's portrayed in such a way that it's open to sort of interpretation. Yes. Where like, there's a lot of like, for example, like just to use, just to stay in universe here, like the example of mutants and the X-Men have become shorthand for a bunch of stuff. Like a lot oh, of people who are yes. part of different yeah. people groups feel and connect with the plight of mutants and so on. And I think that's part of the part of why certain things endure throughout generations is because there's um, the the level of which different people can connect with something and consistently re- reconnect with but it. But Dan, I don't want things to represent stuff. I just <laughs> want them to mention other things I like. I, I just want them. I just want. I don't care what Wolverine represents. I just want to see Hugh Jackman. <laughs> My favorite thing in the MCU is that we got a surprise Spider-Man we already knew about in Civil War, and also he talks about Star Wars. That's my favorite scene in the MCU. What's your favorite scene in the I, uh, MCU, Dan? My favorite scene in the MCU? Uh, the... I liked when Black Bolt's brain melted. <laughs> <laughs> I like seeing Anson Mount again. That was neat. Like I know it's it's 
I know it's the Inhumans show is like the worst thing to come out of the MCU, but the fact I that never they, even watched Inhumans, so but I did play bad. Evil Within, and he voice acts Seba- voice acts Sebastian in that. And oh, it's does not he? Particularly great, but it's, oh, well, I, like I love the much. game. That's one of my favorite games. I think it's brilliantly made, but the voice acting in that is pretty messy. <laughs> yeah, I, I I don't know. I d- before we get into the spoiler thing, I just want to say like I recommend the show. I think it's good. I think me it's, too higher end of the disney plus show queen hippo ways. i hope she comes back oh she's great and it's just like don't let me don't let don't let me bum you out it's if you're a moon knight fan there's a lot here to like if you just like oscar Isaac and ethan hawk there's a lot to like i really like ethan hawk in this um i especially like part of what made me interested in the project in in the first place is because everyone involved has previously stated that they aren't particularly interested in marvel or shared universes or lots of sequels but something about the project kind of got them to join in where Oscar Isaac isn't even signed on past this to come back, even though Disney is fully planning for him to come back. But Oscar Isaac himself is not committed to anything, which is interesting to me. Ethan Hawke really planned it out right then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because, um, which he also apparently really liked Wilson Fisk and Daredevil. So he wanted yes, to, he he wanted to a... try and kind of balance his performance with uh, the same seriousness, I think is the there's a, a, a certain things are sort of in perpetual virality. And there's a, there's a great interview with Ethan Hawke. He's talking about superhero films and big budget films and why they should be seen as different from art films. And he name checks. He's like, I like the Dark Knight. I like Logan. I like uh, what was he? he said? He liked the first Doctor Strange film specifically. But he talks about how like part of why you need these things to be seen as separate from like artsy fartsy films. So my my verbiage, not his. Uh, but is that like you can't pretend like everything's the same. Like things need to be assessed differently. Things need to be intrinsically yes. seen as like different in order to. But like in the larger problem, there's nothing wrong with these movies. These are good movies. But you have people where this is the only thing they watch. And so hence you get a situation where people's minds are melting because there's barely someone's minds get melted. Yeah, that's right, baby. There's mod (laughs) levels of gore and horror in Doctor Strange or Moon Knight does some messing with, you know, timeline and perception stuff that was seen as somewhat overplayed when you watch Jacob's Ladder and (laughs) (laughs) yeah oh yeah and now it's just like whoa this is so weird and like i was i was watching this with my wife and she was just like why do people think this is weird again and i was like i don't know man (laughs) like it's okay but but like all that said i think it's good i think i still think wandavision is kind of the best and loki i mean all these things like i like them but i like them in the sense of like loki kind of feels like doctor who to me uh you know hawkeye feels like kind of like a marvel netflix show this kind of feels like lesion or i don't know donnie darko or something and, <laughs> yeah and then wandavision again uh, part of why i like that is it feels like its own thing wandavision there's certain things that kind of evokes but it also feels totally separate and unique unto itself yes yes 100 and then falcon Will soldier is just kind of bad but yeah, what a shame. But the stuff I really like is in the spoiler section. So Yeah, I guess uh then uh if you've seen Moon Knight, cool. Uh stick around. If you have not seen Moon Knight, these spoilers are pretty significant. Unlike most Marvel properties, um the spoilers here are actually they do change the engagement of the product itself. Honestly, lending itself to rewatches um that might be more enjoyable or more impactful. So we are definitely getting into those. What uh, what in particular did you want to talk about for spoilers, or did we want to first 
kind of bullet point all of the particulars in this? Uh, um, well, yeah, just uh, just to give a general overview, following the first episode, which if you're still listening, I really recommend just watching the first episode before watching anything else. It is a great pilot. It works as its own little short where you just see a man's kind of normal, very normal, mundane, borderline and interesting life get completely derailed by the fact he exists in the Marvel Cinematic Universe slash there's something else going on and the way it's revealed and plays out is really neat. I like it a lot. It works like a little Twilight Zone episode. Um, but it's revealed that he has in it that the altar, um, Mark Spector, is married to this other woman. There, He is a mercenary of some kind and he specifically has gotten connected with this evil cult where Ethan Hawke plays a cult leader who he can judge whether or not you will be evil at some point. And if you don't pass his judgment, you just die. And, but he, in that great tradition of great villains where he believes he's the good guy. And so uh, there is a MacGuffin thing you need to get, because if he gets it, he can destroy the world. You know how this goes. Uh, but the interesting part is that he has a sort of connection to Mark Spector that you don't know about, which it turns out he was initially the first person that Kanchu or what before him Kanchu used him as his avatar to judge the wicked and you know, I didn't feel like that was right. And so three or four episodes in Mark Spector gets shot and just basically dies. And then this is where the, the fun stuff begins because he wakes up and he's just in a mental hospital and previous Moon Knight comics, different writers play around with whether or not, any of the stuff that you're seeing is even real. Like some writers even just imply that Mark is just crazy that when he's talking about different personalities and stuff, that's just all in his head. It just, but it makes him unpredictable. Do they try to do like an American psycho thing, the book, not the movie where it's like just what is being described may not have happened at all. Yeah. Kind of. Or like, yeah. Other people are observing Moon Knight and they're like, I oh, know that dude's nuts. <laughs> so, <laughs> hey, they kind know. of do that in episode two <laughs> where he's fighting the thing that no one else can see. Yes. And everyone's just watching. And then there's just Mr. Knight. It's just, oh, come on, put your dukes up. You know, he talks like this. This is what he sounds like. Um, and it, he has a terrible British accent, but actually there's that's kind of plays into the reveals, which is interesting. But um, so there's a thing where like Ethan Hawke is his therapist and they're like you know you need to let go of these delusions and they do the whole thing of is it not is it in his head is it not in his head but what i appreciate is they don't just do the lame like maybe it's all in his head and they actually kind of do both they do both where it's great good it's just like because there's a great line later on where he's talking about like what if i disagree like what if i think this is real and that's kind of like what's important to me but like it also kind of can't be because the events that are happening in the show are so fantastical. And this isn't even the 50th weirdest thing that exists in this universe. So maybe there is a guy who there's more than one superhero in his body. That's fine. It's <laughs> like a 50 other weird things that happen in the, in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh, but it's revealed that uh, throughout the show, Stephen Grant has been trying to call his mom and says later Gators and uh, is, <laughs> really loves her. But Mark Spector is a little less mild on it. And then later it's revealed that's, that their mother was abusive, but harshly because he had a younger brother that he's supposed to be watching. His brother died. And in order to escape his mother's abuse, he sort of retreated in himself. And Stephen Grant is a name of like an Indiana Jones style movie character that he's a fan of. He has a poster of him on his wall. 
And that's also kind of in universe why his British accent sounds so silly is because it's literally a fake accent that mm-hmm. Stephen Grant is doing. And so these two people just lived in harmony in his brain full time with Spectre being kind of aware of Stephen Grant's existence and Stephen Grant not being aware of it. And um, this all sounds kind of convoluted and silly, but what really sells it is Oscar Isaac acts against himself really well, where I constantly forgot that I was watching the same actor just playing two parts. It feels like two fully distinct characters on screen. This is movie magic stuff. When this it, is when great. it's killing it. Like it's he's very good at handling it the whole time. He's two different characters in entirely two different characters, which is what makes it so exciting. And he to can think switch that, to like in the middle yes, of like a scene. It's very much like split uh, with McAvoy. Where, <laughs> like. <laughs> Less because even less split by with James McAvoy. Yeah, yes, less split. But even in in that, what makes one of the best scenes in Split is when one of the personalities is acting like another personality. You can literally tell that is one. It is one of the personalities performing as another personality, which essentially means James McAvoy is like three tiers of acting at that point. And that's kind of how this one feels at times, where Oscar Isaac is just playing up. He he. It's it's like the perfect role for an actor where an actor gets to act in all sorts of ways and it makes it thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyable. Yeah. You can see why they both wanted to sign on for yeah. the parts. Yes. Yeah. And Ethan Hawke gets to, gets to have some fun here. He's playing psychiatrist as opposed to being an evil cult leader. Mm-hmm. And uh, Oscar Isaac gets to do a bunch of stuff. I don't like that the suit is CGI for most of it for whatever reason. That's a weird decision. It also is really broad. I was surprised at how broad they made his face look as uh, Moon Knight. And and I thought that was kind of, I don't know. I would have figured like there was different versions of him uh, during their like, I don't know. What are they called? Sketching phases. And they would have slimmed out Con- his yeah, face. It made- just didn't look right that it was so broad. I saw some concept art for the, for the costume and. I don't know. It's you compare this to like the Deadpool costume where it's just a real costume. And the only thing they mess with in post-production is his eyes. Like, I don't, yes. don't know why this didn't do that here. Cause it, yes. just, it looks yeah. like fully CGI. Maybe actually this could have been because of X-Men apocalypse. Um, it's totally possible. No, that guys is like, never again. Never. <laughs> Am I going to be in a suit again? You can't trick me yeah. again. Marvel. Poor guy. Uh, he had to like, <laughs> it was, the suit was so heavy and hot. He had like his own like special trailer that they had to bring around with air conditioners. So after shoots, he would just be in it alone. Couldn't do anything. Like there's no way Oscar Isaac's ever going to be in a CG suit again. <laughs> Can't do it. Even Mr. Knight, which probably just looks like a three piece suit. It's like, he's not going to do that ever again. It's like a, <laughs> what if <laughs> I just thought of how to make it even better. Um, instead of Mr. Knight, he just turns into the Greendale human being. <laughs> it's just like the most nightmarish suit in the world. Just, oh, yeah, man. It looks like they smeared lipstick on, <laughs> on a full body suit. He dances to copyright music. It's great. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, That'd be something. Uh, that's yeah. what I need in this. That's You want to get risky? <laughs> Got to do that. Get some copyright infringement in my, in my Marvel movies. You can take the hit, Disney. You can do it. Uh, so... He and his, so Stephen Grant and Mark Spector are both active together inside his brain as he's dying and they can, they meet the hippo deity and they get their heart and the feather put on the scales. Like you may remember from eighth grade history class. And this is fun. Like this is the fun stuff where they're basically going into their, they're going into the afterlife and they're trying to figure out what to do. And they decide to heroically return and, uh, Mark Spector sacrifices himself to save Steve Grant, and then they both get back into the real world, quote unquote, and they 
because gosh darn it, it has to turn into an MCU thing at some point. They fight. They fight the bad guys. They fight Ethan Hawke. They fight. But thankfully, they do something clever with it by having a time skip jump uh, because another personality shows up, one that has been yes. referenced throughout um, where we don't actually see him win the fight, which is both clever for production, saves some money, um, <laughs> but also is clever for narr- narration uh, yes, because it's I really like not that. about the fight. You, about you do get more. to see, like you finally get to see Mr. Knight uses batons and there's some, there's some fun fight stuff in there. And you get to see two giant monsters fighting in Egypt, which is night. Kaiju. Yeah. Give me more kaiju, kaiju action. Uh, but yeah, it's implied that there's been a third personality the whole time, which if you know the comics, you know, you've just been waiting for this guy to show up the whole time. And yeah, I mean, the the six, it wraps up really well. Uh, also, his girlfriend in the show, who is a original character, but very clearly based on Marlene, his love interest in the comics, uh, also turns into a superhero. And she's like the, and this is a character I've never heard of that they're combining it with. It's the <sighs> Scarlet Scarab. Um, so May Cal- Calame Calama, I don't know his last name. Uh, she plays an original character named Layla, who's clearly based on Marlene, uh, but she also turns into the Scarlet Scarab because she also makes a deal with um, the hippo deity, and so she teams up with the Moon Knight, and that's kind of neat. I'm sure someone somewhere is upset about this for whatever reason, but um, I thought that it was cool. I it was cool. It's a cool costume. I thought it looked better than the the weird Wonder Woman wing costume that they have in Marvel. Oh, one hundred percent. It looks better. Her costume was great. I I don't know why that. Again, I don't know why the Moon Knight proper costume didn't look more real. But um, but it's like it's a it's all good stuff. And there's some resolution there. Stephen Grant. I cannot overstate how charming and likable Oscar Isaac is as both Stephen Grant and Mark Spector. Like it really carries the whole show. Um, but then yeah, there's kind of a post-credit scene where you see that Ethan Hawke is now himself in a hospital and a guy in a pullover cab driver hat shows up to wheel him away. And there's a Conchu has been not a good guy who's been voiced by F. Murray Abraham this whole time. I haven't mentioned it, but like the fact that got F. Murray Abraham into this project is great. And turns out Conchu's made a deal with a third altar within this one dude, Jake Lockley, who is the... Um, cab driver in the comics here he's driving a limo and he just shoots ethan hawk's character and it's neat and i'll say that like in the comics jake lockley is more visible remorseful like he doesn't like the fact he's a killer here it's it's kind of ambiguous whether he's just like a silent assassin guy for kanji or something but uh that was neat i was waiting for jake the whole time so um but like all this stuff is neat like i like I like the playing with reality thing. I like that he went inside his mind. I like the sequences where he's like having a flashback and then he gets hit and then he's back in the office. So like they're going multiple layers inception style into his psyche. And then the fact that he's actually in the afterlife this whole time is also cool. Like this is all cool stuff. It yes. makes me wish more of the show was like this a little bit where it wasn't sort of like partitioned off to last one and a half episodes. And then you, you have to have a big superhero fight at the end. And even then they did some fun stuff with that, but, but every single one of these does it even WandaVision. It just ends with, that's what's nice about the vision fight where they kind of like get to the end and it's too quick kind of thing. Or yeah. Well, you just, there's a magic fight at the end of WandaVision. And I like what they did with the vision V vision fight in that where they just talk. Yes. I think about that often. Yeah. But yeah, all of these like Hawkeye ends with them just shooting a bunch of people in the middle of New York. (laughs) Falcon with a soldier ends this way. Uh, Loki is the best one in this regard because it just ends with them talking to to not Kang the Conqueror, you know. Right, and the fight is um as a culmination of the drama at the end. Yeah, 
I, uh, between two characters. I'm, I feel like I'm coming off very negative here, but I overall really enjoyed Moon Knight. I just, to me, it just feels like all of these shows, the exception of maybe WandaVision, vary between being pretty good and not good. Like, there's nothing is so far really stood out as like, oh my gosh, that was so good. Like, the way that even just staying again, staying within the MCU umbrella, like stuff in Daredevil, like there's parts of Daredevil where I'm like, man, this is really good. Like, I am shocked this is in the MCU. Well, even Jessica Jones season one. Just Jessica like, season one just blew my brilliant. mind. Just brilliant. Um, and then even stuff like, or even like, I don't think Luke Cage is 100% successful, but there's so many That things. first season's great. Me and Kat talk about it often, like really often. Um, Luke Cage season one good. is good. I wish they did. I, I wish they didn't do what they did with the main villain. That's a big bummer to me. And then the end fight is just terrible. Like that costume. It's um, pretty fun. But like, the fact they got all these like action musicians for these musical Charles Bradley shows up in an episode singing ain't it a sin like the music the way that Harlem feels like a real lived in place the performances are great Mahershala Ali is really good I love Shades as a cool character such a cool character he's like one of the best <laughs> one of the coolest characters that's been written in the MCU period oh my gosh the the monologue about the n-word in there is really great the fact Method Man shows up and does a rap about Luke Cage like it's just Method Man playing himself like oh my gosh there's so much great stuff in Luke Cage so like even when it's not 100 like i think the biggest thing with the cage is that it came after daredevil and, and jessica jones so the bar was so high but like there's 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 fingerprints of like real creative decisions like the people involved really clearly loved the luke cage project they want to do something interesting with it versus all of these marvel mcu shows like um sorry the all of the mcu disney plus shows they feel like a lot of people are involved in getting their two cents in. You know what I mean? Like it feels like it's like phase two, but better than phase two. Phase two is yes. so committee, so careful, so post. There's no Thor two yet. Yeah, there <laughs> hasn't been. As... Well, Falcon definitely gets close, but even Falcon at least has something to talk about until it's ending. But um, but it doesn't have as not much as much to talk about is luke cage <laughs> so there's that even iron That's fist so frankly um but um <laughs> please don't become the iron fist apologist <laughs> i'm not the iron fist apologist but i did not think it was as bad as everyone thought and i thought the man i, re- I man alive i thought the meacham stuff was just amazing in that um i really do but um like i said if you watch it as a ward meacham show where this ru- the old roommate comes in and ruins everything it's a much better show <laughs> it's um it's better than inhumans i'll say that man so i i know man i like i watched it i watched it i guess people just really didn't like it but they probably watched it, it in response to the others and so it became yes iron it was fist much worse but a bit- just put yourself in the time period. I know we're talking about not Moon Knight right now, but was it in 2016? So it was even everyone's no, just sad because because <laughs> well, of the election. <laughs> imagine you watched you watched Daredevil, uh, you watched Jessica Jones, you watched Daredevil season two with Punisher and stuff. You and watched Luke, Luke Cage, Cage season one, yeah. And then you're like, all right, time for the f- like time for another not home run out of the park Marvel Netflix show, right? With amazing fight choreography, special effects, a distinct look and feel. Every Netflix yes, show. Yes, and it doesn't have any of that. Yeah. <laughs> it's weird because the Meacham stuff really is great. That's where all the drama is. All of the intrigue, the 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 transgression stuff is good. The stuff yeah. that makes you feel things. But then, yeah, um, Danny Rand is not much it's, of a character. He's not at all like the comics, too. Because Danny Rand in the comics is a really, really popular fan favorite character, too. And that's part of the problem where you have this like beloved character who is 
in the comics, he's a great friend. He's really loyal. He's actually really goofy and silly, and but he gets very serious when it comes to martial arts and like doing the right thing. And also, like a lot of the Iron Fist comics, there's like a great one where he gets like zapped to a big fighting tournament, and like they really play into some of the genre stuff. And none of that's in the show. Yeah, and the fact that like it had this thing where Scott Buck took over the show, and he only did it because he wanted to do the Inhuman show, and he famously just gets your show done under time and under budget. And there's there's other stuff too that came out about the show as well, but but even that arguably is more creative at times than these Marvel shows. I, 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 there's a one I, I mentioned. There's an episode of Iron Fist season one directed by the RZA, right? He, the he tournament def- one, yeah. That's a, fun that, one. that's a neat episode, but that one's um, the one that feels the most like a comic book uh, issue or yeah, series of issues, <laughs> which is probably but, who I liked it the best. But but you you compare like. And then the Marvel Netflix shows, to go back, if you're listening on Patreon, you heard us talk, talk about Netflix. Like the later seasons feel like Netflix, like crunch shows where every season's super long for no reason. They seem to be running out of budget and money. These shows get look progressively cheaper with Daredevil season three being kind of the outlier in that regard. But, you know, because Jessica Jones season two is such a massive drop off in quality from season one. And Luke Cage season two is a mixed bag. I think Iron Fist season two is better than Iron Fist season one um, for a couple of reasons. But yeah, but like you could like those shows, you could just show those to somebody like do watch Daredevil, watch Jessica Jones. You know, it's it really it's really good. I wonder if you could just show one of these Disney Plus shows to somebody. Moon Knight, you definitely could. It doesn't have much of anything. Yes. in The other stuff, which is what makes it so effective. Yeah. Um loki would be really confusing for about an episode (laughs) actually all of loki would just be a bummer because if you haven't invested if you are not a tumblr loki fan you are missing out on a lot (laughs) uh for him wandavision you probably couldn't but it could be at least a good gateway into enjoying some stuff because it's probably the most important property for the future man starting off with wandavision was such a (laughs) initially that wasn't the one that was supposed to come out first i think falcon was supposed to come out first yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. But starting that high and then just getting progressively not as good. But yeah, Moon Knight's the only one that you could just go by itself. Um, trying to think. Yeah, because they don't have the Star Wars problem where each thing on its own is almost entirely on its own, except for it sounds like Book of Boba Fett, where it actually really jumps off of and, Mando. Yeah, and like, and plus, like most people have a working knowledge of Star Wars, the basics yes. in a way. That, yes, 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 yes. You know, because like, yeah, people know about Marvel stuff. Like they know who the Avengers are, but that's not going to really help you out that much. Like when you watch Miss Marvel or whatever, or She-Hulk, right? Like, <laughs> well, that's going to have its own problems just already. But <laughs> I think the other thing too is that the other shows, including WandaVision and frankly Loki too, but the Marvel Netflix shows, when they have their themes, from what I've watched, I've only watched up to Defenders, which I think helps helps rehabilitate a little bit of Iron Fist. Maybe not from what he was in the cart comics, but. Um, I liked the dynamic of him and and uh, I forget the girl's name, but the two of them working together and her, uh, Colleen Wing. Yeah, I like her basically Spend. being like his. <laughs> I don't know. You know how people have comfort items. <laughs> That's basically what she is. Whenever he's losing his mind, and I like that dynamic. But but um, all of those shows have like a really strong theme or kind of idea it's playing with that makes it really quite compelling to watch not just as a show not just as fiction but also as something to talk about um and i think moon knight has a bit of that when it talks about essentially um things like predestination or justice systems post or pre or just like loving 
who you are. Right. Uh, well, I mean, that is alongside, I think things like predestination and stuff and being a somewhat Christian show it talking about moon Knight, uh, we'd be remiss not to talk about, um, essentially the big, I don't know, ethereal heady topic. That is the through line of the show, which is Conchu delivers justice after wrongdoing. And, um, Ahmet, that's her name. Uh, yeah, Ahmet, she yeah. delivers it before because she can see into the future to know what people are doing. And the big discussion is like, well, what if someone's like a kid? <laughs> do, do we, does, is that right? I mean, you're just still killing children. And that, of course, also plays in with other things too. Like you have Mark Spector's entire character is he did something evil as a kid, quote unquote. I'm putting up air quotes by getting his brother killed. And now he's getting punishment for it from his mother. And like the big discussion is like, well, did he deserve it? And of course, his character throughout the show is clearly has not resolved that. Um, That's why Stephen Grant as one of his alters exists and becomes even more so because I guess within two weeks or two months of the show starting, uh, his mother dies and he has the remorse of just what happens when you have a poor relationship with someone and they end up dying. I, I remember when, uh, when Stephen Grant and Ethan Hawke, <laughs> I don't remember his name at all. Um, I don't know anybody's name in any shows anymore. I know actors names, but goodness, they have this discussion. Yeah. About uh, the justice and what's going to be delivered. And uh, Stephen Grant's like, yeah, but killing kids, that seems weird. I, that, I could draw the line at <laughs> killing kids. It was interesting because in a more philosophical response, like childhood is the one of the greatest gifts you get in life at all. And I thought it was unfortunate that the show needs to be a Marvel show and they don't continue this great discussion, which could have been like the discussion between Daredevil and Punisher about um, essentially the same thing, <laughs> which is Daredevil doesn't kill because there's the potential for goodness and reform. Punisher kills because no, they're evil. It's too late. <laughs> like uh, those those uh, bikers, who cares? <laughs> they're going to die. Uh, I just love that Daredevil's tied up and Punisher's just getting his guns ready during that discussion. It's so good that like it could have been great for Ethan Hawke to just have more lines about like, yeah, well, childhood's one of the greatest gifts that anyone can have. How can uh, does someone deserve the right to even have childhood if they're going to grow up and become a horrible person? There's so much fascinating discussion in terms of philosophy and and um, I don't know the theory of justice to discuss that this this show doesn't have that I really was hoping that this show would start getting into. Now it is a visual medium, and they essentially continue that discussion through the show as it turns into there's the external justice system of the Egyptian gods and the internal justice system of Stephen Grant and Mark Spector essentially becoming comfortable with themselves despite their past, despite what they've done, uh, which I also appreciate too, because regardless of which personality is real, this individual, um, the only thing that's going to make them better is love, external and internal. But what did you think about this uh, through line, both in terms of the film or the show itself talking about justice, both delivered pre-sin or post-sin, but also how these Marvel Netflix shows, or sorry, these Disney Plus Netflix, frick. The Disney Plus Netflix <laughs> Disney shows, Plus right? Netflix shows, it's not what it is at all. But the Disney Plus Marvel shows, um, this massive contrast of how they deliver their themes is so much more unfulfilling as, I think, just movie people, as 
storytelling narrative people how how are you how are you processing uh, this um i think well just like to compare it to you were talking about the stuff in daredevil versus stuff here in moon knight and i think the stuff in daredevil is so like baked into the actual plot of the show in a way that's not in a moon knight where Moon Knight, I mean, it's only six episodes and they're doing a lot of stuff and all of these shows have to set up 50 other things. So um, the central conflict that they bring out is more just thrown out there to, to create a conflict. It's not really something they're debating about or exploring. Yeah, they don't really like explore it, which is such a bummer. Versus Daredevil season two, where it is implicitly the entire the central conflict of at least half the season was just, and it's partially like, Electra, but not really. Yeah, she just yeah, comes in and destroys so the bad. show. <laughs> I, I have no issue with Elodie Young or, or even the character of Electra, but I just, it didn't work there. But um, so it didn't yeah, work in I, Defenders either. And it, it's like it's just like flavoring like that, like the real because the real conflict of the show isn't about free will or predestination or the righteousness of judgment. It's about Stephen Grant and Mark Spector learning to come together and love each other slash themselves. It's, it's a little weird, but it's part of the charm of the show where you get something that's kind of a little offbeat in that way, where it's like two split personalities learning to care and love one another. And in that way, it's how he also comes to term with his own like trauma and, and pain that he suffered where Rather than dividing himself and trying to hide from it, he's embracing every part of himself, so to speak, which includes not having a great relationship with his mom, though he's tricked himself into thinking he did, and not being ashamed of his past, but really learning to very literally embrace it. You know, I think that's more what the show is about versus, again, there's this sprinkling of a very interesting idea Yes, of, well, like, is it good if you can just get rid of all the bad people before they do stuff? Like, or is it wrong because they haven't actually done anything yet? So does that make you evil? Like they, it's thrown out there. It's by the way the show plays out. You're, you're supposed to think that Amit is bad and then it just kind of moves on. So I don't know. It's, it, you know, go watch Daredevil season two. It's, you get a Catholic view of, of morality and you get a Punisher view of morality. So <laughs> yeah, the two religions. So there's only two of them. That's <laughs> it. <laughs> so I want to, I just want to hear more of what you have to say though, like about like, is it then wrong that Ahmet is doing it the way that they're doing it? Um, killing people early beforehand, or would it make more sense for conscious? Cause conscious sounds way less efficient, especially uh, if, I don't in think terms of the- particularly great. <laughs> yeah. Uh, do I think that Egyptian deities should give people superpowers <laughs> to fight people? I don't think that's a good way to deal with <laughs> like a police force. Um, do I think Egyptian deities should go around just murdering people for sins they may commit when they're 85? Also not ideal. Um, neither seems particularly to, I guess, more seriously answer your question. <laughs> I, I don't think either includes the grace of the gospel. There's no forgiveness. There's no redemption. There's no coming before the Lord and repenting of that you're a sinner. Both just involve being murdered. So I don't think either is particularly ideal. I guess given 
And this is actually something that Jeff Lemire's run of Moon Knight gets into, where part of it is actually Mark Spector separating himself from Kanshu, who is using him as a means to an end. And as we see here in the show, Kanshu's not a great dude. He's lying and tricking them because he's trying to um, achieve his own ends. It's masked in some sort of morality of he's trying to strike vengeance upon evildoers, but you can get based on the way he treats his host there that he's not actually that great a dude. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, you know, that, that that's the problem with all super, most superhero stories. I don't want to say all, but most superhero stories is they present a very, very simplistic view of reality where good guys just go punch bad guys. Yes. While I think Christianity presents a much more um, Christian <laughs> view. And I say that because it's really nothing like it out there, right? Like you, we pray for enemies People need to come before the Lord and repent. And if you come before God and repent and you're filled with the Holy Spirit, like your sins are forgiven. Regardless of sins. Yeah. You know, it's just you, all of them. Yeah. Sometimes you still have to pay the penalties for what you've done. Right? right. Like if I was a murderer on the run and I repented, I'd still probably have to go to jail. But there's no, it's not punitive in that way. Like I don't, God didn't strike me dead. It's not like, great. And then he just says to be lightning and off to heaven. I go it, there's, it's a little different from that. So neither is particularly good. Obviously the one where everyone doesn't get violently murdered is preferable, I suppose. But yeah, I guess I'm curious just because um, it's um, why do these things end up? Why does something like predestination always get, not always, but why does it get a, mentioned in fiction and then usually cast out like immediately as as absurd or silly? Um, because people have heard it from their friendly neighborhood Calvinist who was drinking their IPA with their large beer. I guess I'm self-attacking, even though I don't talk like this. Drinking either. an IPA um, and a beer? Uh, drink a beard. I, did I, what did I, did I say <laughs> with beer. their beard? <laughs> drinking an IPA with their beard, not their beer. Um <laughs> <laughs> sidebar i remember there was someone who was also trying to make another christian podcast and their logo was just a beard and somebody underneath was like why is there a beard and, he, and the person just responded well you know and i was like this is so i hate this i wanted to shave my beard in that moment i don't have it because it's a cultural thing i have it because i just like it um please stop asking my wife if she likes it she clearly likes it because she says she likes me and it's my body i can do with it what i want um Anyways, uh, this isn't here me trying to just. I'm not using this podcast as an opportunity to defend myself. Um, what no, happened I, last minute there? Like, it's like the show got away from us for a second. <laughs> what a surprise! Cinematic doctrine just uh, getting away from us. No, I. But like, this isn't the first time though. I've watched fiction where they try to uh, imply and predestination can be uncomfortable, obviously. Um, but this idea of just the mere concept of it existing and then making that the antagonistic thing. And I just found that interesting and worthwhile talking about on the show. Cause typically uh, people who respond to it with discomfort and either deny the gospel all together or deny God as being evil because of predestination, try to live, try to try to kind of like put themselves in the process of already knowing who is and who is not saved. Therefore not, living in reality, which is, I don't know the future at all. Um, I don't know the future at all, except for what God has revealed in like revelation or even then it's a mess. Like, good luck with that. There's some stuff that's clear and some stuff that's not. Um, and typically I, I find it more 
I, I've never personally found it upsetting the concept of predestination to the point that like whenever it's talked about in media as being an upset, I get it because it's fiction and you need something to be interesting. But as a more philosophical concept, I've never quite found it bothersome because it makes sense. Like if God is eternal across all time and space, it's not that he's beholden to what exists, but he's literally spending time with those people who are already saved anyway. So like from his perspective, it's not like that's going to change. Does I guess like, uh, first of all, I don't find predestination interesting to talk about anyway. It's it's frustrating that the Tenet episode, which is our proverbial predestination episode, because um, to that it lended itself, but it's annoying that that's one of our top episodes because I don't know. Uh, I, I do know reformed individuals find that the most interesting trump card, so to speak. I'm, I'm making a smug face right now because that's sort of the what what people kind of latch on to, but there's a lot of fiction that kind of handles this as something in a negative. Why, why do you think that is? And what do you have to say about it? Cause I know I actually, we've never talked about this topic cause it's never been come up, but I'm you, sure we both agree. Re, re, restate the question. Predestination is almost always talked about as something negative in fiction, but not just in fiction, but in discussion. I've even had discussions with friends through evangelism where they inherently could not believe God was good because of something like predestination existing. The fact that God chooses before before anyone's done good or bad has already dictated who is saved and who's not, because he uh, did. And like, what? How do you process that? That both that theology, and then also the fact that in fiction it's used in such a negative all the time. Um, I mean, this is a massive, massive, massive question. Um, to very briefly uh, address, it, I think most objections people have to the concept of predestination within Christianity particularly as it plays into salvation. Generally speaking, most of the alternatives people present, I don't think really often answer most people's issues of predestination. For example, like people go, um, you get the usual stuff like, well, if God could just make people be like, make people believe, like, why doesn't he do that? Right. I've gotten that one. um, But like removing, switching to like a more Arminian view, I also, I feel like doesn't, I feel like that doesn't actually solve that problem because you still get the issue of like, well, in that view, is God unable then to quote violate people's uh, free will in order to make them believers? And if he, you either get a God who cannot, which you weaken God, or you get a God who chooses not to, which is the same issue that quote unquote issue with predestination, right? Because it would imply that God, who's still all powerful, chooses not to just save certain people. Yeah, you you end up with the same issue, just with more steps. So that's kind of my issue. I'm not saying you have to believe one thing or another. I'm just, I feel like the Calvinistic understanding of of salvation and free will is one of those things that initially is, comes off very sharp, right? Because you have a thing of like, well, God is just picking people. Like, it, it, I, part of it is that people have this image of God just picking like names out of a hat, going, "Are it saved? Not saved?" You know, like it's you know, duck, duck, damned, basically, where he's just going like, hey, you know, some some of the people will get in, some of them won't." Um, but like. I think like when you really ruminate and think about it, I find it to be very comforting thought, right? Like the idea that you have an all powerful God who is actually has his hands upon the universe in history. And the things that are happening to us are not random. And we are not at the mercy and whims of mankind or the weather or creation or an asteroid hitting the earth. Like there is a loving 
caring. And that's part of the the thing that's amazing about it is the person at the wheel is not just a deity. It's not just like Kanchu or a Met. It is, it is a loving, caring God who died for his sins, who's actually the one at the wheel, who's ordering our steps and is authoring history. And, but I think that people don't like the idea that they are not fully in control or they don't like the idea that things are being taken out of their hands in that way. But I counter that that sounds much better to me. Like if everything in my life completely hundred percent falls on me, then I'm in deep trouble Yes, because yes, I am not, too. I'm not just not perfect. I am actively not good at a lot of things. Yes. With the idea that God is there <laughs> doing a lot of stuff to help me out, uh, to put it mildly, that God has forgiven my sins, that God has called me to himself, that God is persevering me through hardship and the guys taking the tragedy and difficulties of my life and using them for my good. Like, I'm glad that's all happening. I think, but it, like when you initially present to somebody, it just comes off as so abrasive. Um, it's, 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 it's scary. Like the idea that like our lives are in some ways already set. And I think people overstate this because I mean, in the practical way to manifest in your life, you're still going to decide what you eat for breakfast. You're still going to like decide whether or not to go to work today. You're still can quit your job if you want to. Like, that's not what's happening. And even if, even if for the sake of argument, which I don't think this is how God works, but like if God is just sitting there going like, and then I'll work here and then I'll work here. Does it matter? Like if you don't see the strings, if you don't see like someone pushing you towards something like the, in the practical sense, I'm still eating what I'm eating for breakfast. I'm still working where I'm working. Like my life is what it is, regardless of whether or not a cosmic force is interfering or not. I think people, it's one of those things that's scary when you think about it. But then like when you blink and you go back to your life, it's not that scary. But like if for somebody who has a relationship with God, these things stop being things that are scary or intimidating, but they become comforts that, you know, the the you the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, the the creative universe is, you know, fighting for you and therefore who can be against you. And it I guess it it also gets scarier when you look at when people talk about like a theoretical God, right? Like if like the idea of some alien force is controlling the universe. That sounds scary. That's and that it would be terrible. Um but it's not. It's you know <laughs> God doing it who you can know and have a relationship with as opposed to just, you know, the matrix or whatever, you know? Yeah, I have, one of one of the things that I've found most fascinating in my Bible reading lately has just been this idea that God gives everybody what they want, whether they're good or bad. Um, the cross is kind of like the, I mean, apart from the fact that the cross is the greatest story ever told, that it's the craziest kind of culmination of everybody gets what they want. Um, those that love the Lord get redemption and can finally be with him because previously they were sinners and, and abhorrent to the Lord. But then also those who hate God get to do exactly what they've always wanted, which is to kill him. Um, <laughs> uh, but the, and so they, they, they fully and completely are given to him and God as a servant to man, giving himself freely, literally serves everybody in that way. But God also wins he also gets what he wants by being victorious at in the end uh his love supersedes um all the evil and hatred by of course the resurrection um which is just crazy to me i mean it's at the end of the day people in hell want to be there without wanting to be there right like c.s lewis does uh, the gates of hell are locked from the inside yeah it's um it's yeah you have this parable that 
scholars consider an actual event, which is likely true because it has names and specifics. But you have Lazarus um, looking down, seeing hell and the guy going, hey, send Lazarus uh, to go tell my brothers. And it's like, well, they've heard. They, they've already heard what's true. They already know about me. They chose not to follow me. Um, but in the end, it's like he doesn't want to he doesn't like suffering, but he doesn't want to be with God. He doesn't necessarily want to be there. And um, it's one of those things that I, I've sometimes tried to make a case for when, when talking with others in evangelizing is like, it's not that, oh, you want to be hanging out with rapists and murderers. It's just, no, you just don't want to be with God. And that's your prerogative and choice. It's just, I, I'm advocating, and Jesus also has advocated, it's not going to be beneficial in the end. But there's a sweetness to the Lord that he even permits people to not choose him in the beginning, um, which I find quite fascinating. Yeah. And if if you're – let me put it to our listeners this way. Like, if you are uncomfortable with this concept or you don't know why I would think of things this way. I was having a conversation recently with one of my youth group kids, and they feel a great burden because their brother is not a believer. Right. And they they feel like there's nothing they can do to rescue them and save them. They just feel like there's nothing you can do to reach out to them. And like I told them, like, that's a lot of pressure to put on yourself. Like you've put the eternal resting place of your brother's soul on your shoulders. Right. That's a lot of pressure, man. Yes. You know, isn't it better? Isn't it easier to take that off your shoulders and place it in God's hands? Right. Who I think we can all agree is much more qualified at rescuing your brother <laughs> yes. from damnation, from himself, from his struggles here on earth. Like, wouldn't you rather place him in the hands of the person who could more than anyone else, you know, act in this situation rather than yourself? Like that's a lot of pressure. Imagine, I can't imagine pastors and preachers who go to the pulpit and they view, they believe that depending on their sermon, everyone Correct. in the audience is going to hell or not. Yeah, that's, that's a lot, man. Forget it. <laughs> <laughs> like that's never mind. Yeah, that was actually something I was just going to get into is like at the end of a conversation in evangelism, there's um there are two things going on in my mind. Um which this is I think one of the primary issues of eastern philo- or western philosophy is there's such a singularity to how things are. It must be one way. There's no converse. Um, two things cannot conflict whereas I think in more eastern philosophy it's more natural for a coin to have two sides um, and still be a coin. It's um, the classic idea that the a more Eastern take on the elephant um, problem of like a bunch of blind people touch an elephant and describe different parts of the body. Um, and a Western take would be, well, someone who can see needs to tell them actually what you've described is wrong. It's an elephant and gives them information. Eastern f- philosophy would be more uh, actually, everything that the blind person described is factually correct, even if they've all said completely different things, because all of the things they described is still an elephant. Um, and I, I think there's sort of this thing where when you evangelize, you get the pain and hurt of, God, I love this person and I want them to be saved. And I want them to know you because I know what's good for them because of what you've said is good for me. But also... It's not in my hands, and while I can be in in a in a, an emotional turmoil of sadness about this, I can also not feel responsible if they go to hell. Because almost in a way, you would be implying that what well, if if these people go to hell, then I go to hell too because I couldn't do the right thing. Because by stripping away God's control over 
everything. Now you are solely responsible for things, and therefore works righteousness is so easily stripped into someone's life um, because now you must be perfectly efficient at all times or else you have failed in the mission to make disciples and baptize others. Oh, you're married? Sorry. Paul says it's better for you to be single. You've already failed. It's too late. Um, that that's that's you, people on the outside are right. That wouldn't be a loving God. That would be <laughs> that'd be a trickster making perpetual absurd jokes over the over the human condition. It doesn't. It just doesn't make sense. Whereas there's an immediate gift to the fact that like I'm not my my the people I love and care about are not beholden to my capabilities of evangelizing. Um, my ability to make the love of God clear. Um, it it kind of immediately changes how you process the human life, the, the Christian life. It makes it more free. It kind of eliminates that idea of God's calling, so to speak, ironically, despite the fact that it's predestined. Um, this idea that, well, I feel God is calling me to this. And it's like, well, if both options are not sinful, then it sounds like you can do either and it will be okay. And uh, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of things to it that I think, um, yeah, like you initially said, are immediately very sharp, but it actually opens up a lot of things um, to uh, freedom. I don't know. It's, it's, it's wild. Um, but I was not going to let us get away with this episode just talking about <laughs> Marvel, considering such a, I don't know. Finally, the, the Marvel has had something kind of interesting come out um, that yeah, at least I has mean, something more to talk about than content in Doctor right. Strange, which also is interesting to talk about. But uh, I think I think I will say a part of the problem with trying to have these types of conversations surrounding something like a Marvel show is the context which is presented is itself not like a correct context. Like re- it's not like yeah, it's trying not to juxtapose. At all like fictional Egyptian deities using superheroes to kill people versus the concept of Calvinism or reformed theology. Like it's not a good one-to-one comparison in a lot of ways. And it's partially why I always kind of shy away from it. Cause I, I, it's like, Oh, you think this is right? It's like, no, 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 no. Like I do. I don't think this is correct. I don't think that Ethan Hawke should walk into my church. And I started <laughs> by to- saying like, they're, they're processing this idea as if they know the future and they don't yeah. that, that that's the immediate fault of this discussion surrounding predestination yeah. is like I've had, well, well, if I'm not saved, then what's the point? It's like, how do you know? <laughs> how do you know you're not saved? You've just decided right now, like you're not saved. That sounds like you decided that. <laughs> so it's both, you know, it's this participation. It's, it's, how do you process the world? It's why God will speak through like donkeys and say, like, I will walk down there. It's like, well, God's already there. <laughs> why is he saying it that way? Because how do you process creation? Because your five senses dictate, you dictate. Oh, I can't I can't even talk about it because it's so like, it's not even possible to describe it uh, because it's such an unreality to me to, to be able to act like you know the future. That's just not how yeah. it works. It's not how it works. That's why um, Revelation's a gift, because you finally get to see what the future looks like a little bit. It's so absurd to me, but I also don't want to sound like I'm belittling someone who's struggling with it. It's just, I just don't know how you process that way. Yeah. And like the question of like, well, what's the point? Like, like I don't follow God because I want him to give me 
get out of hell free card. Like I follow God because he's God. Right. You know, and so because he loves me. People Romans two four and people are converted because of the Lord's kindness, not because yeah. I don't want to go to hell. I mean, that's literally what the guy in la- in the story, in the parables getting. He wants to get out of hell. He doesn't want to be with God. He doesn't want to follow God. It's totally different. Yeah. So I, I think Moon Knight's okay. I I, uh, I don't. Me too. I, <laughs> it's not the best thing I ever watched, but it is better than some of the other things. And I think uh, I I the, the the thing is like the Marvel machine keeps hooking me though because I'm just like I would I would like to see Moon Knight interact with Daredevil and Shang Chi and these other characters. I I would like more Marvel properties that get a little more mind bendy like this does. So it, it, it keeps giving me hope, but like. I can only give them the benefit out so many times before I'm getting a little frustrated with the lack of a. What would Raimi's Moon Knight look like? <sighs> Probably a lot like Dark Man, <laughs> to be honest <laughs> with you. But uh, I, yeah, it's pretty good. I don't know. <laughs> I sound so excited. Yeah. Uh, do you have any exciting recommendations for this episode? Well, I mean, I had something else, but I'll just say, like, if you want to understand. This, I recommend the book Chosen by God by R.C. Sproul. It is the most concise, well-articulated defense of Calvinistic slash reform theology. If you want to understand the position, uh, there is that book for Calvinism, for Arminianism that give a count point counterpoint, but I think the for Arminianism book is pretty weak. So I'll just recommend Chosen by God by R.C. Sproul. If you want to understand what I'm talking about, that's a good book to start with. Uh, I'm mentioned, I mentioned in the Patreon stuff that I was going to recommend a documentary I watched on Netflix. It just came out, uh, called our father. It is one of the craziest subject matters I've, I've watched. I, I, it's hard to describe documentaries as being like movies. Cause usually documentarians are just filming actual events and just talking head stuff. But the subject matter captured here is just wild. Uh, essentially, um, Families who have difficulty producing children go and visit a doctor to have live insemination um, because some people, uh, sperm counts are just not as powerful. <laughs> they can't get through the process. They can't reach the egg, but they're still alive. So it can still be, uh, you can still have a child together. Um, the morality of this idea is fi- fine for you to decide by yourself, but the documentary um, covers a, basically a one of one of the most evil things I've ever <laughs> ever witnessed um, in documentary. It's no surprise. I mean, I guess it's kind of a surprise. This is produced by Jason Blum. It is a literal Blumhouse production. It's one of the most terrifying things I've seen from him. Uh, where essentially this this doctor, Doctor Klein, uh, I forget his first name, a um, I don't know if you would call him Christian, but he definitely is an elder at his church who does this uh, procedure, would replace the specimen with his own specimen and produce children with these families. And there are it starts from this one girl who wants to find her siblings. So she does 23andMe. She does an ancestry test and connects with nine other siblings. And the amount of siblings there are will just continue to blow your mind. And the problems, the moral problems of this go beyond the initial disgusting subject matter. I found this documentary fascinating because uh, it 
<laughs> the title card is similar to <laughs> it's going to be bizarre to, to to compare it this way especially dan if you know this movie but it's similar to ichi the killer's title card um, what? <laughs> <laughs> um so from the get-go this is a transgressive documentary because it is very much about his faith as well and trying to understand understand the psychology of it of why he thought this is a morally okay idea um and uh, just recently, I intended to go get the actual facts on it. But if you're well-versed in, well, actually, if you listen to, I think in the last three or two weeks of a Holy Post episode, one of the s- stories they talked about was on, a, on another Christian show, more evangelical show, another uh, s- Christian evangelical celebrity woman said, if we want to win the culture war, we need to have more babies, which is not a new thing. That is something that's been said for a very long time. And it's clear that this guy interpreted older versions of this in a very bizarre way. Just a fascinating documentary to listen to. I think in this particular time with Roe v. Wade being discussed, uh, I know this is the second episode where I'm bringing this up. So crucify me, I guess. But um, there's an interesting thing to be thought about, about the inherent goodness of childbirth despite the many vile ways children can be produced um and there's something fascinating about how god has made childbearing good uh despite the just just despite that despite how evil certain things can be and this documentary i think really really makes you think as the line goes uh in terms of this particular idea but it is also just one of the most appalling things. It is not visually transgressive. There's no nudity. They don't get in anything like that, but it will make you squirm. It is one of the, like in terms of film experiences, this is one of the most emotionally charged I've ever had um, in a very long time. And so I definitely recommend it. Short, sweet, 90 minutes um, will continue to top itself in terms of, uh, transgression and uh, definitely check it out. It's up there on Netflix, man. They need you. <laughs> they need you to watch their stuff. So, so check it out. Um, I don't know. Does does anything I just described interest even you, Dan? As far as a recommendation goes, <laughs> uh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's just wild, man. I it's like something like I almost feel like I want to keep talking about because it's just that crazy plus these victim stories need to be told it's it's just crazy but do you have a more lighthearted recommendation to offer dan or are we uh are we done here do i have a lighthearted recommendation <laughs> i don't know uh, do you that's what i'm asking maybe <laughs> uh you know i've been i've been really enjoying the library and hbo max i think it's probably one of the strongest uh streaming services out there in terms of variety as well as just uh, the depth of the library. I've mentioned before, I've been going back and finally rewatching Doctor Who. Um, when I've gotten the, to the part- From the start or from nine? Uh, from, yeah, from Eccleston, not from like, 1969. <laughs> I've watched some of those early episodes. Um, they're charming. I wouldn't yes. call them yes. my favorite <laughs> thing in the world. You know, and getting to really enjoy Tenet's run as the Doctor and it, reminding me of why I like the show so much, but- but I will say, like, the thing that I enjoy probably most about it is it's just the amazing archive of shows and movies and things that you probably have forgotten about and haven't really gone back to revisit. And so 
I think this is on HBO Max. <laughs> I, I, well, we can we can double check our off air, uh, Melvin. But uh, <laughs> I've been rethinking about because last week I last week last episode I recommended The Crow and I recommended going back and rereading the comics uh, that went into it as well as the as well as watching the Brandon Lee film because it reminds us sort of like where is sort of the superhero genre uh, originated and how interesting and good things based on comic books can be. And so I'm going to recommend another film. I'm going to recommend a movie called Road to Perdition. Uh, it is based on a graphic novel. I know novel. this name. What is it? It I feel was like I nominated it. for a bunch of awards. I think it might have gotten an Academy recognition, but it's based on a graphic novel. And initially, I was going to recommend a movie called History of Violence, but that might be a little too much for some of our viewers for various reasons. So I'm going to recommend Road to Perdition. Uh, it is based on a graphic novel. It stars Tom Hanks. It is just... It is nothing like any other graphic novel, comic book-based film that you will watch. It's... Um, it's quite good. I'm not going to give anything else away about it. It's a drama. It's not full of superheroes or action or anything. It's based on a graphic novel, and I think it's on HBO Max. I could be it's wrong. On Netflix. It's on Netflix. It's well, there you go. There's another Netflix recommendation for you. Uh, I'm going to continue this trend. Every time we watch a comic book thing, I'm going to recommend something also based on a comic book, but not one you've probably seen. Uh, partially because I think it's very frustrating that everyone thinks that comic book movies can only be DC or Marvel films, but... Yeah, Road to Perdition. Are you going to recommend The Spirit next? <laughs> a truly <laughs> great the, film. One of the uh, best posters. It's a bummer. <laughs> it's oh. it's it, This thing is something based on The Spirit. It could be like an interesting noir kind of film. But they went <laughs> they went the direction they did. It's the, the beautiful man riding a horse in that horrible costume. So. Boy, howdy. Thanks so much for checking out this episode of Cinematic Doctrine. If you enjoyed this episode, consider leaving a review and subscribing to the podcast. And as mentioned before, Cinematic Doctrine has a Patreon. For as little as $3 a month, you're opted into a once-a-month movie poll where you decide a movie we discuss on the podcast. There are other unique benefits that come with supporting the podcast, so be sure to check that out at patreon.com forward slash cinematic doctrine. A special shout out to those who support at the Art House Theater tier on Patreon. Thank you so much, Mom, Dad, Melanie, Sherlyon, and Thomas. You guys are the best, and your continued monetary support is greatly appreciated. Until next time, stay cool. Want some Cinematic Doctrine swag? You're in luck. We've got 3-inch Cinematic Doctrine logo stickers exclusive for Patreon supporters. Perfect for your travel mug or laptop. Head over to patreon.com forward slash cinematic doctrine, link in the show notes, and choose the independent theater tier. Doing so will net you other perks too. But let's be real, the podcast stickers are the coolest perk. So get yourself some podcast stickers by supporting on Patreon.